Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, just a great morning to be together once again. A lovely, cool morning here in the Cape. And I pray that this year has really started out okay for you and that um, as uh, it progresses almost the end of January already, uh, that you would really be experiencing and knowing that God is in control of all that is happening. And I pray that it will be a very encouraging year for you that lies ahead. Uh, if you have your Bibles, don't you want to open to Romans chapter 1? Uh, we're going to be reading from verse 18 to 20. Uh, we started last week just in our series in Romans, exploring the book of Romans. Uh, and we saw that Paul's letter for the, for the purpose for writing the book of Romans was to introduce himself to the Roman church, uh, to which he'd never really visited. A church probably started uh, from the visitors of Rome in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And Paul's desire was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he wanted to move to Spain uh, and, uh, and begin outreach in Spain. And so he wanted to use the Roman church as a stepping stone to do that. And so in this letter, he introduces his gospel, writes to them about what he believes. And so we have a wonderfully clear picture, a clear, clear presentation of what it is that the gospel is, the, um, the Bible's teaching on Jesus and the gospel. And so last week we saw in, in verse 1 that it is the gospel of God, the good news of God. It orig originates with God himself. We saw also that the whole of the Bible points to scripture, uh, points to the gospel in verse 2. The whole of all the scriptures point us to the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's exactly what the good news is. It's good news about Jesus Christ, his humanity, his deity, his life and his resurrection and his lordship over our lives. And of course, Paul finishes in verse 16 reminding us that the gospel is the power of God to, uh, unto salvation. Uh, and in the gospel, in this good news of Jesus Christ, a righteousness from God is revealed. Uh, reveal the, the, the gospel reveals the righteous character of God and it also reveals this righteousness that is credited to us, given to us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so in the gospel we have a righteousness that comes from God uh, and that is revealed to us. So let us read Romans chapter 1 as we continue in verse 18 uh, down to the end of verse 20. So the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without Excuse so that men and women are without excuse. Well, let us uh, pray before we get into uh, the rest of this little, this little text that we read this morning. Father, thank you so much and praise you that we can gather around your word this morning. Thank you that your word uh, brings life, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation and godliness and righteousness. Thank you that in this good news, this wonderful news of Jesus Christ, that we find hope and joy. I pray that we would be reminded once again of why we need Jesus this morning. Why is the gospel, in fact, such good news? And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. So I think uh, flowing out of uh, verses 16 and 7, the question that I would ask Paul is, Paul, why do you say that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the power of salvation? I mean, how can it be a righteousness from God revealed? Why does righteousness have to come from God? Uh, why do we need to be saved in the first place by, from, by, by the gospel? 
Have you ever thought about it? Why is it that we need Jesus? Why do we need to be saved? Well, verse 18 tells us very clearly, doesn't it? Paul makes it so clear to you and I why we need saving in the first place. And notice what he says in verse 18, because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by this wickedness. See, Paul is about to take us on a journey. He's about to take the Roman readers on a journey, you and I on this journey, in the next three chapters. From chapter 1, uh, verse 8, all the way to chapter 3, verse 18, the Apostle Paul wants to clearly show you and I the effect of sinfulness and brokenness, the rebellion that takes place in Genesis chapter 3 against God. Paul, in these three chapters of Romans, wants to paint a picture for you and I of how terrible sin is and how destructive sin is in our lives. You see, he wants, uh, Paul wants us to reach a place where we understand how deep and dangerous and destructive sin and rebellion against God is. And so he wants us to reach a place in chapter 3 verse 9 where he says there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who seeks God. See, what Paul wants you and I to understand this morning is that in, our, in and of ourselves, we can never be righteous, good enough for God. So God has to do something. God has to move to us in salvation because we are so deeply affected by our sinfulness and our brokenness. And one will only fully understand how beautiful and how wonderful and how powerful the gospel is. You will only understand verses 16 and verse 17 if you understand the next three chapters of the book of Romans. See, we first need to understand how, full, how, how, how sinful human beings are, how bad we are, how destructive rebellion against God is. If we don't understand that, we will never truly understand how powerful the gospel really is. See, Paul in chapter 3 wants to reach a conclusion where, where we are so convinced as we look around us that there's no one righteous, not even one, no one who of himself or herself seeks God or has a desire to seek Him because of the effects of sin. And Paul wants you and I to, show, to know why we so urgently need the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and why this is the power of God to save us. And so over the next three chapters, what is Paul going to do? Well, chapter 1, he's going to address the unsaved or the pagan world, the non-believers. So Paul is going to talk about a world, in a sinful world in rebellion against God. Pagans who've got no desire for God in chapter 1. In chapter 2, Paul then narrows it down a little bit and he then begins to speak to the person or the hearer or the reader who thinks they are good enough for God. I'm a good person. We call them the moralist. Someone who is morally upright, who thinks, actually, I'm not that bad. I'm kind of good enough for God. So Paul wants to address them too in chapter 2. And then flowing out of chapter 2 to chapter 3, Paul then also addresses the Jews. The Jews who thought that they were good enough for God, righteous enough for God, simply by keeping the law. And so Paul, in these three chapters, uh, narrows it down right to the point in chapter 3 where he says to all of us, there is not one of you who can be saved in and of yourselves. So he wants to take us through the ungodly pagan world, the person who thinks they're a good person, and then the Jew who thinks they are saved by the law. Paul wants to show them that none of us can be saved by anything we can do. 
Rather, he wants to show why it is so desperately important that we believe the gospel and take hold of Jesus. You see, because in the gospel, in the good news, God moves towards you and I. God makes a move to us. God moves to rescue us out of love for us. God demonstrates Romans chapter 5 and said, His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the first thing that we notice from these little verses, these verses that we read for us this morning, 18 to 20, the first thing we notice that in these last days, the wrath of God is being revealed. You see what Paul says? He starts by announcing that the wrath of God is being revealed in the first part of verse 18. He says this. See, the last days began when Jesus ascended to heaven and they'll end when he returns once again. And so we are living in this period of time already known as the last days. And Paul says that in this time, in these days, God's wrath, and notice it's present tense active, God's wrath is being poured out. God's wrath in these last days is being poured out against wickedness and the godlessness of men. Now the Greek word there for, for wickedness uh, is, the, is the Greek word orche, which literally means God's righteous anger, God's vengeance and violent passion is being poured out. So, so that little word wrath is literally from the Greek word orche and means God's righteous anger. His vengeance and his violent passion is being poured out against sinfulness in these last days. You see, God's anger burns against sin. God hates sinfulness and God still hates evil. Verse 18, the wrath of God, the orche of God, is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men and women who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And so we hear a lot about the love and the grace of God in these days, don't we? We hear a lot about God's love and God's grace and God's mercy, and that is true. It is wonderfully revealed in Jesus. But we often forget that God has not changed. He's the same yesterday today and forever and so God still hates sin sin will still be judged I mean after all it costs God his only son the life of his only son and so we live today in a world that is sinful that is broken and that is under the judgment of God God's anger burns against sinfulness even today do you see those little words that Paul used in verse 18 this wrath is being revealed you see, it's a, it's a present tense verb. It is still being, it is being right now revealed and actively poured out and revealed as God moves against sin and, right, and unrighteousness. And so one of my favorite authors, John Stott, writes, he says, God's wrath is his holy hostility to evil. It's his refusal to condone it or come to terms with it. It is his just judgment upon sinfulness. God's wrath is directed against evil alone. So God is not randomly angry. No, God's wrath is directed towards evil and sin. And there is no personal peak in the anger of God. So God's anger doesn't rise and fluctuate. God is simply angry at sin. Nothing arouses, as John Stott says, except evil. It's evil and sinfulness that arouses God's anger and God's judgment. And so in these last days, you and I need to understand that the wrath of God is being revealed. And so what we see about us around us so often is God moving against sinfulness and evil. And don't we see that um, <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 
a little bit later on in verse 18 to 26, Paul is going to tell us that creation is groaning and suffering under what he calls his bond, this bondage to decay by the will of God. So creation at the moment is under this bondage of decay. It is under the effects of sin and it is God's will that is directing it. You see, God, when mankind sinned in Genesis chapter 3, uh, creation was thrown into the, the grasp and the grip of sinfulness and rebellion against God. It, it, experiencing the wrath and the judgment of God is the world that is in rebellion to God. And so what we see around us, it shouldn't surprise us to see a world that is but chaotic and, and seemingly out of control because sinfulness, this bondage to decay, is at work in our created world. And like a woman, Paul says, in, in the pains of childbirth, we are groaning and suffering under the weight of sinfulness that is at work in our world today. We too also groan inwardly. In Revelation chapter 4 uh, to 10, speaking of these last days, uh, John describes them as six seals and six trumpets. He uses this imagery of seals and trumpets. Uh, that, are, that are being opened and being uh, uh, displayed in these last days. And listen to what, the, what these seals and trumpets are described as. Conquest, war, famine, plagues, earth is stricken, the sea is stricken, the rivers are stricken, torment and destruction. See, John describing these last days that we find ourselves in, describes all these things that we see around us, don't we? See, because the world is, is, is a broken world in the grip of sin and rebellion. But notice all these things, even in Revelation 4, like in Romans chapter 8, are flowing from the very throne of God on His command. So as we look around us, yes, the wrath of God is being poured out against sinfulness and rebellion. And God is fully in control of these last days. And so these things that are, that are happening, we're seeing around us, uh, are the effects of sin and God moving against sin. In Matthew 24, verse 4 to 8, uh, um, uh, Matthew says the following. He says, what? Jesus, Jesus speaking to his disciples, sorry, he says the following. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. And speaking of these last days, he says, for many will come in my name, Matthew 24, verse 5, many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to that you are not alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. So Jesus talking about this time period before the end. He says there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. And things are going to happen. But don't be alarmed because God is still in control of them. Verse 7. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these. Notice what. Listen what Matthew, what Jesus says to his disciples. All these are the beginning of birth pains, the birth pains that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 8. So these things that we see around us, do not be alarmed. See, this is life in the last days. It's God's wrath is being poured out against sinfulness and rebellion. And God is fully in control. These are the beginnings of the birth pains that will culminate ultimately on the return of Jesus Christ. So we shouldn't be surprised at what we are seeing and experience. As God's wrath is being poured out against sin and ungodliness. And this is all going to lead us to the final day of judgment. And notice what's here in chapter 1. How Paul describes it in verses 24 to 30, 32. How God, Paul describes the, the wrath of God being, uh, uh, being, being poured out. He describes it as God simply 
handing people over to their sin. See how God, how in Romans chapter 1, how is God's wrath being poured out? Well, God simply hands people over to their sin. So, so God is actively handing people over to the things that they desire. God is almost just saying, okay, well, if you want that, here it is, have it. You see, that's often God's judgment being poured out on the world, isn't it? So God doesn't uh, actively always just move in judgment like striking Ananias and Sapphira down. That, that doesn't seem to be the common practice. But in Romans chapter 1, we are told that God simply hands people over to what they desire. So be careful what you want this morning or what you wish for. See, the wrath of God here displayed in Romans chapter 1 is simply God giving you over to the desires of your heart. Simply withdrawing His mercy and His grace, His presence, and handing you over to the very thing that you desire. See, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that is how God's wrath, God's anger against sinfulness and rebellion is being poured out in these last days. And we will see that. We will see people being handed over to the desires of their heart. But notice, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not judgment against everybody. It's judgment very specifically against the godlessness of men who suppress the truth. You see that secondly from Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to 20. It's against the godlessness of men and women who deliberately suppress the truth. And did you see that in the second half of verse 18? The wrath of God is being poured out against all the godlessness and wickedness of men and women who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So when humanity in Genesis 3 deliberately turned their back on their creator, they suppressed the truth. They turned away from the truth. They denied the truth of God and the truth of His Word. And that's exactly what Satan attacked in Genesis chapter 3. He attacked the, the truthfulness of God's words. And he's been doing that ever since. And that little phrase in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, the second half, the suppression of the truth, suppress the truth, comes from the Greek word kacheo, katecho, which literally means to hold down or to hold back. Katecho, which literally means to hold down or to hold back. So what are people doing? They are holding down, they are holding back the truth of God in their hearts. And so God's wrath is being poured out against those who deliberately and intentionally hold back His truth, suppress His truth, push it down in their lives. And don't we see that more than ever in history today, right now this day, don't we see the attack on God's word and God's character from all sides, from inside the church and outside. In our world around us, we see people denying God, hating God, denying God's word, tearing it apart. That is our world today. Take, for instance, uh, some quotes from a website uh, called One, uh, A Clear Thinking o Oasis, where people share their thoughts about religion and Christianity and, and, uh, and God. And listen to some of the things that people say. One person says, I don't believe in God because I don't believe in the mother goose. Another says, who needs Satan when you have a terrible God like this? One of the quotes says, the inspiration of the Bible depends on the stupidity and the ignorance of the person who reads it. Religions don't make claims about the do make claims about the universe, so religions claim things about the universe. The same kinds of claims that scientists make, except they are all false and built on nothing. See, folks, isn't this the thinking of our world today, where people are, 
are, are making a mockery of God's word, denying the truth, suppressing it, pushing it down. Isn't that exactly what Paul is saying? He says God's wrath is being poured out and it's being poured out against people who refuse to believe the truth. And right across our world we see this, don't we? Ignoring the truth of the Bible, the gospel. And we see it in all areas of life, don't we? Science trying to disprove the existence of God. History trying to deny the church and the reality of God. In our universities, we see atheism on the rise. Atheism, the belief that there is no God. We see agnosticism on the rise, believing that we cannot even communicate with God. I mean, on our TVs and social media, we see blasphemy. We see the Lord's name being used in vain. We see a mockery being made of the gospel, the gospel that we love. And it is clear in our world today that many, many people hate God and hate our gospel. See, this is the suppression of the truth, the pushing down of the truth. And you know what, folk, the danger of it in these times, in these last days, is that it is slipping into our homes and our thinking like a slow poison being released in our families. You see, more, the more we are exposed to the thinking of the world, the more we are being tempted to move away from the truth of Scripture, to believe that the gospel truly is the only way to God. The gospel is the power of God to, to, to salvation. We start believing that we are good enough. We start believing in ourselves, how precious we are, how important we are to God. And so we elevate mankind and we tear Jesus Christ down to a place of obscurity in our lives. See, but not only is the suppression of the truth happening from the world, it's also happening from within the church, sadly. How many churches uh, denying God, not even preaching from God's word? How many so-called apostles and prophets standing up with their own revelation, refusing even to open their Bibles, not being guided by the truth? How many pastors don't we see falling into sexual sin? How many pastors don't we see have lawsuits against them, so-called men of God who should be examples of godliness and righteousness and godly living and humility, but yet on the other hand are proud and arrogant, making declarations that are never not even found in scripture see from within the church we see a massive attack on the truth of the gospel and so even in churches you see people suppressing the truth people pushing down the truth not allowing the truth of the gospel to change their hearts and minds and recently in America haven't we seen the president or the former president standing up even holding a Bible up in front of the church as though he is a believer but a man from his own words and lifestyle and the way he lives that indicate very clearly there is no love for God and yet he will stand in front of a church and hold up a Bible and by many he's even treated as a savior of a nation. See folks, that is the suppression of the truth. That is when the truth is distorted and ignored and we see it across our world today. And Paul says there is a deliberate and calculated suppression of what is real and is true that is happening in our world today. Do you notice in verse 21, Paul says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, and so therefore God hands them over to their sin. Verse 25, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So they exchanged truth for lies, and therefore God acts. Verse 28, Since they did not think it worthy to retain the knowledge of God, he gives them over, a slow handing over process when we deny the truth. And as, as I said, mentioned already, atheism is on the rise. And Plato said of atheism, it is a disease of the soul before it becomes an error of understanding. 
Francis Thompson, beautiful quote, says, Maybe the atheist cannot find God for the same reason that a thief cannot find a policeman. You see, folk, atheism on the rise, the deliberate suppression of God's word, denying of the truth. And Paul says in these last days, that is what is going to be happening. And as men deny the truth, God moves and his, his wrath is poured out on those who suppress the truth. And how does God do this? God, how does God do this? Well, by handing people over to their sin. Handing them over to the very things they want to believe. And so often in our world we see that. We see people chasing after idols like money and fame and wealth and fortune. And often the way God moves in judgment is He just simply hands people over to their sin. And that's what is so disturbing about Romans chapter 1, isn't it? What is so disturbing about Romans chapter 1 is Paul is making it very clear that God still hates sin. That truth still matters and that the gospel is of primary importance. That as we navigate life in this world, we need to love the truth of the Bible. We need to hold on to the truth of the gospel. And we need to be very careful that we are not suppressing the truth, denying the truth, ignoring the truth that is revealed to us, that is given to us by God. And so Paul says the wrath of God, even now, folk, is being poured out, it's being revealed. And we see it in people with a desire for everything but God, a desire for everything but Jesus. We see it in our world today on the increase. And Jesus warns us that these, this, what we are seeing around us is the beginning of the birth pains. And so we need to hold on to the truth. See, opposite to that is we need to love the truth of scripture we need to allow the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ to be uh, the truth that directs our every action our every thought and our every desire we need to constantly and always be following and making sure that we are walking in obedience to God's Word see the opposite of suppressing or pushing down the truth the opposite of that the opposite of katecho, where we push down the truth is to love the truth and to hold on to the truth because Jesus doesn't he say it's the truth that ultimately sets us free and so let's not be surprised at a world in rebellion against God a world that is being handed over to its sin, the desires of its heart because Paul says that is what's going to happen and notice why it is such an offense to God why is it such a terrible thing to suppress the truth well, because verse 19 and 20 tell us that God has revealed himself. See, God has revealed himself. God has shown himself. And so if you do not know the truth today, it's because you choose to ignore it. Paul, notice he describes those who are living in disobedience to God as suppressors of truth. And notice what he says in the end of verse 20, that they are men and women without excuse. See, men and women, you and I today, Paul says in verse 20, are without excuse because God has revealed himself. Do you see that in verse 19? Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen 
being understood from what has been made so that men and women are without excuse. See, folk, this morning we need to understand fully that God has revealed himself. He's noticed, Paul says, it's his invisible qualities, those qualities we don't see but we can see, his eternal power, his divine nature, his Godhood has been revealed in what he has created. See, creation itself screams that God is alive. When we look at our world around us, we look at the mountains, the oceans, we look at our created world, how intimately and perfectly our world is made, we begin to see and understand the invisible qualities of God, His power and His divinity. You see, we, we don't have an excuse, folk. There's not a single planet, culture on planet Earth And this is interesting, isn't it? It's proof of evidence of verse 20. Not a single culture or planet on earth that does not have some sort of concept or understanding of God or an explanation of God or a higher being. See, every single human being, every single culture has an understanding of God, an understanding of a greater power, a higher power. Because as they've looked at creation, as they've lived in creation, you cannot help but deny that there is something bigger, something greater, something holding it all together. And that is why Psalm chapter 14 can say, The fool who says in his heart there is no God. It's the fool who says there isn't a God. See, atheism, according to Scripture, is foolishness. And listen to what Psalm 19 verse 1 to 3 speaks about God revealing Himself. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Notice that declaring, speaking, Day after day, they pour forth speech. What are the heavens doing? What are the skies, the stars, creation, the mountain? Well, it's pouring forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. They display knowledge. Isn't it a beautiful way to describe creation? There is no speech or language where the voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. You see what Psalm 19 is saying? It's in creation is declaring, it's speaking, it's displaying knowledge, its voice is heard and it displays the glory and the wonder, the power, the eternal power and the divine nature of God. And it does it to the ends of the earth. You see God's fingerprints, folk, God, God's footprints are all over. It's no wonder that the tourism industry And traveling, people traveling to different countries to see the beauty, the wonders of nature, climbing mountains, getting out into nature. Why do people love it so much? Well, because the the nature, without them realizing it, is displaying something far greater, far more powerful than they are. Something that speaks of God's divine power and divine nature. You know, when we uh, went to uh, a number of times of visit different game parks, It's interesting that the game ranger does not often see the animal. But what he does is he sees evidence of the animal. The game ranger taking us in the game drive is constantly looking for evidence of the animal we are searching for. And so he'll be looking for footprints. He'll be looking for paw prints. He'll be looking for broken grass. He'll be looking for a smell, a sound, any evidence that there is an animal that we are searching for in the area. You see, the, angel, the game ranger on a, on, a, on a game drive is looking for clues, looking for signs that point us 
to the animal we're searching for. And this is a beautiful picture, isn't it, of what creation does. Creation is the evidence. It's the signs. It's the footprints and the fingerprints of God pointing us to the fact that God is real, that God exists, and that God has moved towards us. And the gospel, of course, and we, we call this general revelation. So, so creation speaks generally of God. It gives us an awareness of God. Uh, it's, it gives us an understanding of God. But it's the gospel that brings the specific revelation. See, God's word is the specific explanation of what we see around us. And so we need creation, general revelation, but we also need the Bible. We need God's word as revealed to us specifically to explain it, to help us to understand even better and more specifically. But creation speaks of God and his existence. And did you notice those little words in verse 20, from what has been made? Paul says, uh, um, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. That little phrase, what has been made, is, is, it comes from, is basically described in one Greek word, which, which is the word poema, poema, from which we get the English word poem. So what has been made is, a little, is, is literally the, what we've translated as the English word poem. See, the universe and everything in, that, that is in it is, is God's work of art. It's poetry. You see, so Paul describes creation and what has been made as poetry. And why does Paul use this little word poema? Well, the point is that a poem has, has got specific structure. It's designed. It's, it's art. It's, it's wise. Uh, it's got structure. See, God has acted. God has planned. God has designed. God has crafted. He's created and made. And he's called his creation good. It's poetry of God uh, that we see around us. And in doing that, verse 19, God has made himself evident to all mankind we marvel at science we marvel at at nature because it is beautifully made it is the poetry of god and the universe is a poem about god and so every culture has a concept of god a concept of right and wrong even the the profound atheist stephen hawking had to say the following you cannot understand the glories of the universe without believing there is, in, there is some supreme power behind it. So even Stephen Hawking, the uh, uh, atheist or agnostic, says you cannot understand the glories of the universe without uh, uh, agreeing to the fact that there is some supreme power behind it. And so this general revelation points us to God, points us to the gospel. And as the gospel, we hear the gospel preached as we read God's word, we understand what we see around us. We understand the truth of God's grace and power and sovereignty and mercy. And Christ then gives us the answer to connect us to God personally. See, that is why the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And that is why in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the disciples, you and I, the church, have been given a very specific mandate. We are to go into the world and preach this gospel. God has already prepared the ground for us. 
God has already prepared the ground by revealing himself in creation. And so as we go, people already have a concept of God. And what we are called to do is to take the truth revealed in Scripture and go and build on what has already been revealed. Our, Our task, folk, our calling as a church is to live in this world where people are suppressing the truth, where people are denying the truth, where God is handing people over to their desires of their heart, we are to go and speak life, speak the gospel, speak the truth. Not like the world suppress the truth, the church believers are called to live and speak the truth. And as we do, Paul says in verse 16 and 17, it is the power of God to save all people. You see, for God's wrath God's anger is being revealed right now verse 18 that is what we're seeing around us and it's being revealed justly against the unrighteousness the hatred of people towards God Uh, it's been revealed against it it's been poured out against evil against people who suppress the truth deliberately deny God Suppress, suppress the truth of the gospel. Choose to live in ignorance and disobedience. Choose to turn their backs on God. And I want to just say to you this morning that God has revealed himself, as Paul said. Not only in creation, but folks, think about our situation here in Para. How many churches don't we have in Para where the truth is preached? I don't think there's a single person in our congregation that hasn't heard about Jesus. A single person in our community that hasn't heard in some way about Jesus. And so all of us are without excuse. If you've heard about Jesus, you have no excuse. And if you've heard about Jesus and have not responded to him, then you unfortunately are like the person described in Romans chapter 1 who is deliberately denying the truth, suppressing the truth ignoring the truth and if that is you this morning you need to be very careful you need to be very careful because God might move in judgment and simply hand you over to that which you desire see we need to be very careful that we don't reach the place where we desire everything else but God everything else more than God now you see, we need to understand God has revealed himself. We need to hold to the truth, walk in obedience to the truth, love the truth, love Jesus more than anything else. And oh folk, if you know Jesus, if you've heard about him, but yet are not living in submission to him, haven't submitted your life to Christ, may I call on you this morning, don't be someone who deliberately suppresses the truth. Be someone who embraces the truth, recognizes the truth, recognizes the gospel as the power of God to salvation. And he's transformed and saved. God has moved towards you. In yourself, in and of yourself, we are sinful, we are broken. We do not have the righteousness, the right standing, the the goodness, the godliness that is required for us to live in relationship with God. And yet God sends one who does. His name is Jesus. And Jesus dies at the hands of sinful men. He pays the price demanded for sinfulness and wickedness. He lays down his life as a ransom for you. And if he is calling you this morning, all he is calling you to do is lay down your life. Believe in him, follow him, and the truth will set you free. You see, as we continue, as the world continues to live suppressing, pushing down the truth, 
Folk, you know what? God begins to hand people over to the desires of their heart. And that is exactly what we're seeing happening around us. There is no one has, without excuse today that can deny the glory and the majesty of God that can say He does not exist and He is not sovereign. And that little, I want, the verse 20, I want to close with the fourth thing I notice here in verse 20, the second half. We are without excuse. God's wrath is being poured out against men who suppress the truth, men and women who suppress the truth. God has revealed himself, and so we, Paul says, are without excuse. You willfully choose today to ignore God, to continue in your sin, continue in your independence from God. Romans chapter 8, or chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, folk, is a sober reminder. It's a reminder to you and I that you and I need to stop playing around with Christ. We need to stop playing around with God. We need to take hold of the truth. Believe God's word. Believe it is the power of God to salvation. And folk, if you are a believer this morning, can you see the urgency that is required to get into the world and to share the gospel? That is our mission. That is our calling. God has already prepared the way. He's already prepared the ground in every culture, every country, every nation. There is an understanding or a picture or an awareness of something greater than ourselves. A God who is a sovereign power, a higher being, whatever words people use, the ground is prepared for that conversation. The general revelation has gone out. Uh, creation has declared the majesties and the glories and the wonders of the God we serve and follow. And we as the church are now called to take the gospel, the specific revelation, the explanation of all these things to the world uh, so that people will know, people will understand God has moved towards us. The wrath of God hand, uh, being poured out against sinful men is a reality check and a warning to us this morning. But folks, surely it needs to be a motivator to you and I. A reminder that we are here for a reason, to be the salt and the light. Let us get out into our world. We don't want to see people dying without a Savior, dying without hearing that there is hope, there is good news, there is an answer to this problem of sin and rebellion against God. The answer to the wickedness in the world we see around us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer to the brokenness, the sadness, the misery is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer for the human heart this morning is Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. Oh, folk, may we be so convinced this morning of the truth. And maybe we need to take a long, hard look at our lives and see the areas where we are giving way, where we are giving ground. Maybe it's the TV shows you're watching. Maybe it's the social media you are listening to. Maybe it's the political party you are following. Maybe it's the voices of the world, those who suppress the truth, that are speaking louder in your life at the moment than the gospel and, the, and God's word. Folk, where you take Romans chapter 1, may I take Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, as an incredible warning, as a credible reminder that God still hates wickedness. God still hates sin. And that truth matters. 
And may we be filling our hearts and our minds not with the, the, the worldly words and the worldly understanding and philosophies and, and, and the worldly explanations about life, but may we be filling our hearts and our minds with the truth this morning. May we love Jesus Christ. May we love the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. Let us not fall into the trap of being someone who suppresses the truth and ultimately gets handed over to the way which I desire, the money, the power, the idolatry, become so in love with the world that I walk away from Jesus Christ. Oh, folk, may we hold on to him with all we have. May we recognize, as Paul does, that truth is under attack and that we need to stand on the truth and submit to the truth and walk in obedience to Jesus Christ. Well, let us pray. Father, thank you and praise you for this journey that we, we are starting and exploring why we need a Savior. And Father, as we look around the world, we do see the suppression of truth. We see uh, truth being forced out of the window. We see people believing anything and everything. We see people hating God. We see people uh, denying the Bible. We see people making a mockery of our faith. But, oh Lord, would we respond by preaching the gospel? Lord, would you help us today to stand on the truth of Scripture, not to move away from it, but allow the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel, to be that power of God, not only to save us, but to keep us walking in obedience to you. Oh Lord, may we be a church, may we be a believers, that, a group of believers that love you so much, that desire to see the world saved, that we go out and we speak the truth of God. Thank you that you've already prepared the ground. You've already prepared hearts and ears and minds by speaking through creation, by speaking about your, uh, your, your divine power and your divine nature. That creation shouts that our God lives, that our God is alive. May we, Lord, take and bring the good news of the gospel. May we bring that specific truth that leads the heart, the human heart, back to a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Oh Lord Jesus, may we know this morning that we are without excuse. I pray for anybody listening to this message or anybody that has heard the truth, knows about Jesus, but yet has not responded to Him, has not laid down their life, submitted their life to His Lordship and to His rule. Oh Lord Jesus, may they not suppress the truth in their lives any longer. But may they turn to you, may they repent, and may they put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, the power of God to save us. Thank you that, God, you have moved towards us, and a righteousness that comes from you is freely available to us this morning. Thank you that there is nothing we can do to be good enough, to be righteous enough for you. But thank you that you have done it on our behalf. And when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, the work of saving us, rescuing us, giving us the gift of righteousness, right standing with you, was complete. We thank you for this incredible warning. We thank you for this incredible encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen.